I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus... Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. I'm Tim Minchin. I'm the composer-lyricist of Groundhog Day, the musical, and you are listening to the Evening Standard Theatre Podcast. Welcome to the Standard Theatre Podcast. I'm Nancy Durrant. And I'm Nick Curtis. This is a special episode before we go on a brief pause. But of course, do keep on telling us what you think of the show. Get in touch via our email, which is theatrepod at standard.co.uk. Uh, you've just got me and Nancy today, as Nick Clark is away on holiday at the moment. Yep, lucky bugger. Um, but coming up on this week's show, we'll be joined by Toby Marlowe and Lucy Moss. Seven years after the Edinburgh premiere of their hit show Six, the runaway success in the West End and elsewhere, the writers are bringing a second big fancy musical to the West End. Although it is very different to Six, I hope that if people come and see, if people came to see Six and came to see Why Am I So Single, I think that they would, they would hopefully recognise that it's written by the same people. Like the humour is quite similar. It's, a, it's still, it's still a similar thing of like breaking the form and like playing around with the form of musicals. And also musically, it's kind of like pop is where we live. And that is a musical we are all very much looking forward to on the podcast. But for this special episode, we're going to look at the shows that are coming up that we are particularly excited about in the uh, next six months or so. Yeah, which actually sort of ties in quite nicely with uh, some of the news that's been going on this week, isn't it? Yeah, it's ticket pricing again, again. which I know we don't want to bore the pants off people <laughs> by talking about it too much. But lots of people have been complaining that the ticket prices are too high, which, you know, yes, in a lot of cases is true. But yeah. What are you going to do about it? It well, is quite. a commercial operation. West End theatres cost a vast amount to uh, to maintain. Shows cost a lot to maintain. You know, some tickets will remain high. Lots of tickets are on sale for lower prices. I'm yeah, not, you know, including one of the ones we were going to talk about today. Yes, indeed, uh, which is the Tom Holland, Romeo and Juliet coming up for the Jamie Lloyd company. Jamie Lloyd has made it a priority to make sure that there are £25 tickets for people who are under 30, people who are on certain levels of income support. Uh, and, you know, there are other other qualifying characteristics for, for those tickets. But those, I believe, are every performance and they're every level of the auditorium, including the front row. Oh, that's so really cool. It is cool. I mean, he's a cool man, Jamie Lloyd. I, I do think he's one of the most interesting people out there in terms of what he does on stage, but also what he does backstage, yeah, uh, right. working in the theatre at the moment. I have a huge amount of admiration for him yeah. and I'm really looking forward to Tom, I mean, everyone's looking for Tom, Tom Holland's Romeo yeah, and Juliet. Although, I mean, they? you know, good luck getting even the kind of however much £300 tickets for that one because that, like, the queues online for that were 
it unbelievable. I mean, it's sold out. It is. Yeah, I think it? it pretty much sold out. Certainly in a couple the of first hours. tranche of tickets that were available. Yeah, but good on Tom Holland for coming back to the theatre. Yeah, you know, I think he has done a little bit before, but uh, not for a long time. We were speculating earlier about who on earth is going to be yeah. his Juliet. I know. I mean, it's a real. It's like it's it's a bit of a bugger that, isn't it? Because like, whoever you are, unless you are Zendaya, yeah, and, which would be kind know, of amazing. Oh, that would be totally amazing. <laughs> and also, she just will have come off. Is what when's it open? May something like that. It was June. 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 So, uh, yeah. So she'll no, sorry. I thought I was saying June. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I think it's opening in May, but, but she, she is in just, June. She yes. is in June too, and she will be just off the press tour for that. Yeah. So you never know. You never know. That but would be equally, incredible. If you're not Zendaya and you are Tom Holland's Juliet, you. I mean, you better be someone. Yeah, <laughs> or, or just you'd incredibly be, good. Or you have to be a complete newcomer, yeah, which is absolutely. something that Jamie Lloyd has done in the past. In Sunset Boulevard, he had a lot of people with a small amount of experience or no experience whatsoever up against, you know, Nicole Scherzinger. I mean, Scherzinger didn't have a huge amount of musical theatre experience. Not, a, not, not much. <laughs> not that much. Know, knocked it out of the park. And equally, you know, he uh, he got uh, Emilia Clark to do The Seagull, having never been on stage before. Yeah, so. yeah exactly. A, a total newcomer would also be incredible because the opportunity is so immense. Yeah. I'm super excited about it. I think it's going I to be totally so agree. Great. Also, I imagine, I mean, I'm basing this purely on an interview I did with him when he was 14 years old, which I may have mentioned in the last podcast when he was appearing in The uh, the Impossible with Ewan McGregor and Naomi Watts, one of his earliest films. Oh. Um, he seemed like a really nice guy. I imagine he is. He would be a really giving performer to act opposite. Yeah. If you were a newcomer, I imagine he'd be he'd be you know very a very good stage partner yeah. to have to sort of break you in. On, and total on speculation, but don't him and Zendaya just seem like such an adorable? They couple. seem like the nicest couple in the world. I I want to be their friends. I know. Completely. Not in a weird way, you know. But <laughs> no, well, never in a weird way, Nick. No. Right, the other news this week, and I've been quite triggered by this, is trigger trigger warnings. Yeah, Ray Fiennes came out saying, you know, boo, we shouldn't have trigger warnings. In my day. In my day. Audiences have gone soft. What's wrong with a bit of, you know, sort of uh, shock and alarm and theatre is meant to disturb? Bloody, 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 blah. I mean, I think the best... I'm so tired, Nick. Yeah. I'm so tired of this. Yeah. It's like you don't have to look at them. Yeah. That's the thing. Like trigger warnings are never, it's not like a pop-up ad on a website. It's Mm. not really annoying. It's just that there are some and they are available. Yeah. If you're lucky enough to be somebody who hasn't experienced something really flipping horrible, it's not just a tiny thing. It's a big deal if something really terrible has happened to you and you have to relive it. It's just... You don't, but you just you just don't have to see them. It's really not a massive imposition. No, you can make that choice. I think the two best comments about this were one was made by Joanne Harris, the chocolate author, who sort of said trigger warnings are like disabled ramps. They're not for you. You don't have to use them. They're, no, not, exactly. you know, they're there for people who need them. Yeah. And I think that's a that's you know that's a, a very very point. valid point. Also, Natasha Hodgson from um, Operation Mincemeat was being very funny about uh, what she hates about going to the theatre today is when you know sort of people peel her eyelids back and force her <laughs> to look at trigger warnings written in wokester blood outside the theatre, <laughs> and it totally spoils her experience of you know of uh, traumatic themes I, but it I just, also doesn't ruin shock and surprise yeah. I mean it doesn't very rarely will it say this is going to happen to this person I think if you're in it and it's good then it will shock and surprise you anyway yeah and as, as someone else said I can't remember who it was if you've got the sort of voice and platform that Ray Fiennes has yeah, um, what really a shame given all, on all the issues facing theatre at the moment that this is the one he should pick on um, and it's also it's what bugs me so much about about this is the, 
reminds me of the row going on about the National Trust and about heritage and things. Mm. That in the name of anti wokery, people behave like complete snowflakes. Oh, I'm upset by trigger warnings. Oh, you know, it's spoiling it for me. <laughs> oh, poor me. Oh, someone's pointed out the you know the, the fact that most of our country houses were built on slavery. Oh, I can't bear to hear that. La 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 la. I know it's really very pathetic, isn't it? Yeah. Anyway. In a more celebratory note, shall we... Um, shall we chat about all the good stuff? Yeah, yes, yes. I mean, a useful way to kick off, I think, would be uh, all the old good stuff that yeah. is coming back. Um, lots of things that we've raved about on this podcast before. And, yep. you know, I've, I've raved about in the in the paper and online. For Black Boys, is coming back for the third or fourth time, I think, and very welcome to... Yeah, definitely. I think that starts in March. In March or for even February, I think, fairly soon at the, at the Garrick. Let a black boy dance. And let him take up as much space as he needs. Open up your door. I can't see your face no more. Standing at the sky's edge, transferring from the National to, uh, to the Gillian Lynn Theatre. Listen, let me educate you, yeah? Anything you want in life, you're going to have to work twice as hard to get it, bro. Yeah, Red pitch, woo! Yay. Yeah, one of our favourites of all of us, particularly Mr. Clark, who is, I think, the biggest football fan out of the three of us. Uh, well, I think that's, I mean, that's not very difficult. I think that's you sure. and I vying for third place. There, <laughs> yeah. probably. I think he's probably <laughs> taking the number one and two spots. <laughs> and that's coming to at Soho Place, which will be a perfect place oh, for it's it. Such a great spot for it because it's such a brilliant auditorium. Yeah, I don't love the actual theatre building itself, but the auditorium is just gorgeous and, and it's, it's so reconfigurable and it's it completely in the round or yeah. in the in the rectangle in this case, I suspect. It's by far the best place for it yeah. that they could have found in the West End. Absolutely agree. Um, if you want a shot of, of, of sweetness, then Two Strangers Carry a Cake Across New York oh, is transferring. I can't wait for that because I didn't see it when uh, I was at the kiln. It was just you and Nick who saw it. That's I'm right. Just, I'm desperate. New York, I'm already talking and talk. New York, I'm already popping the cork because I'm ready. I'm ready to be in New York. Are they ready? It's in the Criterion, which is a sort of fairy tale theatre. So yeah. you know, it just just sort of suits perfectly. If you want something slightly less uh, saccharine, yeah. next yeah. to normal, a musical about mental illness coming into uh, Wyndham's in June. And if you really, really want to wait a long time for a transfer, Complicité's Mnemonic, which is still on the list of my top ten ever shows, right. is coming to the National Theatre twenty five years after it first premiered and after wow. I, I first saw it. But that, that's June, isn't it? That is June. Yeah, moments of that are. Super into my into my frontal cortex wow. uh, from the first time round, and if you if if there are still tickets available, I urge everyone to book for that. Yeah, exactly. There's a couple of things coming that don't quite have dates yet, are yeah. there? Which I think everyone needs to be aware of. Yes. Um, and one of them is uh, the play called Slave Play. Yes. And it was very uh, buzzy and very controversial in New York, uh, but there is going to be a London run of that. I think later this year. That's right. It was a that was a massive sort of hit that broke him out completely. He wrote yeah. that while he was still a, a think a performing arts student. Harvard or on a scholarship there or you know some sort of writing scholarship yeah, I think as hell. yeah we saw Daddy which was his follow up to that at yes. the Almeida which is I think a little bit sort of second album from him and we were seeing the second album before we listened to the first one so right. Slave Play has been has been dangled on social media just as we don't know where it's coming but it's coming to the West End sometime soon Yeah, and also hovering in the ether somewhere is The Artist the adaptation of the uh, French Oscar winning film uh, by Drew McConey the new artistic director of Regent's Park Open Air Theatre 
that. What's caught your eye of what's... Uh, well, there's a few things. I mean, actually quite imminent is um, the opening of Lucy Kirkwood's new play, The Human Body. And it's got Keely Hawes, National Treasure TM, yep. um, as, a, as a 1948 GP, meeting up with an old flame who made it in Hollywood, who's played by Jack Davenport. And to be honest with you, I'm basically just excited about seeing Keely Hawes on stage. Yeah. I, I just think she's so great. I don't think I've ever seen her on stage. I, I think she think is fantastic. I saw her in the audience or something recently, her and Matthew McFadden, because they are, of course, a couple. It's weird seeing them in the flesh. You just I think, know. my God, that's them. <laughs> that's those that's people. actually really like them, them, those yeah. people. Yes, exactly. <laughs> We've also got Nye coming up at the National Theatre um, about Nye Bevan and the creation of the NHS, played by Michael Sheen. It's yeah. co-production with the Wales Millennium Centre. It's now not legal to do any show with a Welsh... Uh, protagonist in it if it's not played by Michael it's, Sheen. He's written into his contract. <laughs> <laughs> it's, that's, that's very true. I know of um, another writer who's actually who's actually written a play about Nye Bevan in the NHS, and that's been sort of slightly oh, spoiled by this one. I think. Yeah, it must but be. This must one be is, is directed by Rufus Norris, the outgoing artistic director of the National, and it's written by Tim Price. It's a really hmm. interesting playwright. Yeah. Not particularly high profile. As far as I can gather, this is essentially a sort of sedative-induced fever dream with Nye Bevan looking back at his career, uh, his sort of life's work from his hospital bed. Right. Um, his NHS hospital bed, of course. Of course. Um, which basically is, I reckon, can go like one of two ways. <laughs> yes. Um, so I'm interested. I'm I'm nervous. And if you want something really on the nose, as his uh, Kwame Kweamar is standing down from the young Vic, which I think we're all sorry about. And yeah. he's fired a broadside about, well, an appeal to the government to basically support the arts, you know, as part of his, um, his farewell statement. But he is directing a play towards the end of the year, a musical, about the dangers of elevating television stars to positions of extreme power. Oh. So, <laughs> well, I wonder who that, <laughs> wonder who that could be about. <laughs> anyway, coming up later this month, the 10th anniversary of the Sam Wanamaker Playhouse at Shakespeare's right. Globe. Incredible to me that that theatre is 10 years old. It still feels absolutely fresh whenever I go in there. That's so lovely. For those who have not been there, it's an imaginary creation of what a, a Jacobean Playhouse might have been like. So it's an indoor wooden theatre to compare with the outdoor Elizabethan wooden globe. Painted and candle lit. It's an absolutely gorgeous space. So pretty. And they doing the Duchess of Malfi it opened with the Duchess of Malfi 10 years ago with Eve Best in the lead role and uh, it's now going to be restaged with Francesca Mills um, Mm. who's an absolute star who's come up through the globe and she is a performer with a chondroplasia right so she is of limited stature and no play has been made of this in the casting of it I think she'll be an absolutely wonderful Duchess but with the row over the globes uh, Richard III being played by a performer without a visible disability it's interesting that this is part the same season, I think. Yeah, it is interesting. And, and it's that, slightly got lost. I think it's great that she's going to be playing the lead there. Yeah, I think that is good. That particular Richard III, by the way, comes up in May. Yeah. Um, That's right. With Michelle Terry controversially playing the king, and there's been a lot of conversation about it. Honestly, I don't really know what I think about it at this point. Yeah. That's going to be. There's going to be a lot of attention on that, isn't there? A lot of attention on it. Our first big star arriving, uh, apart from homegrown stars like Keely Hawes, is Billy Crudup coming to the West End in a one man show at the Ambassadors, I think. Broadway hit. This sort of passed me by. I can't say I was sort of aware of it on Broadway, really. No, not at all. It's called Harry Clark. It's not exactly a name that sticks in your mind, is it? No. But um, it's is a, par- it a short run. It is a limited run, I think. Yes, I think it's ATG that runs the Ambassadors. Yeah, they're quite good at programming kind of big name American stars in quite short run shows. Yeah, remember that one was it a year ago or the year before um, with David Harbour? Yes, um, Madhouse. It was yeah, called, yeah, yeah, and it wasn't a very long run. It wasn't. Um, no, but it did well because it's a little theatre and you yeah. know, it's, so it's not it's not so hard to sell enough tickets to make it work. Yeah, um, and I think I suspect this is sort of. 
another one of those. I think you're um, right. It's, it's a little bit of a risk, but it's not so much of a risk because it's a, a name of sorts. Yeah. You know? I think West End theatres are getting a lot more responsive and lively and yeah. uh, turning much faster. You know, they used to be like oil tankers. You couldn't really get anything done quickly in the West End. And now I think here and at the Haymarket, there's, you know, relatively new owners at the Haymarket are trying to reestablish it as a home for serious drama. So they've mm. got Sarah Snook. Well, having, the... having now removed Only Fools and Horses. <laughs> yes, indeed. Longest running musical ever there, which I was surprised to learn. Uh, but they've got uh, Sarah Snook in um, yeah. the picture of Dorian Gray there at the moment. They've got Waiting for Godot with Lucien Massamati and Ben Wishaw coming in in September, yeah, which, which I'm very excited. is obviously going to be really, really interesting. Uh, that's a big barn of a place, the Haymarket, enormous theatre compared to the Ambassadors, which is a little Yeah, sort and of... to do something like Waiting for Godot, which has basically got a tree and a donkey, yeah. is like, well, not really a donkey, but you know what I mean. It's like, it, it's got it's got nothing. In a way, I think you've got two of the best performers to do that in a big space because actually they've both got so much stage presence yeah. that they will just seem a lot bigger. And I think the last time I saw it was when Ian McKellen and Patrick Stewart did it at that theatre. I think that was oh, at was the Haymarket as well, I believe. As well, right. Yes, yeah, yeah. Well, we were talking about themes developing. So Wait of Godot is coming back. Uh, Look Back in Anger is coming back alongside Roots on Wesker's play done by a single company at the Almeida later Ooh. in the year. Yeah. Oh, that's really exciting. It is kind so of exciting. There's an email I clearly haven't read. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, come on, that's, Nancy. Yeah. yeah, but no, that's really exciting. Actually, look back in anger. I think I've said this before. It was one of the sort of my early. I saw it with uh, Michael Sheen actually mm. when he was a young man and I was a teenager yeah. um, at the uh, Royal Exchange in Manchester, and it was one of my first memories of seeing non-Shakespearean theatre, and I was blown away by it. I mean, obviously, it's a dated play. It's pretty misogynistic. Yeah, it's quite like you know that those kind of kitchen sink dramas of that era. You know, there's there's a lot wrong with them, but at the same time, yes. They're fantastic pieces of drama. It'll be really interesting to see. I mean, uh, Roots as well is is, is rather yeah. dated and and quite quite a self indulgent Wesker play. I saw Samantha Spiro do it years ago. That's the only time I've ever seen it. I did stage. it in my speech and drama class. Did you now? <laughs> yeah. Well, I think well the audience wants to see hear that again. I think that's it at some point. <laughs> I didn't do the Norfolk accent. Ah, fair enough, fair accent. enough. But um, yeah, well, it'll be really interesting to see how those stand up. It, if you cast your mind back to when Stephen Daldry took over the Royal Court, he. Um, launched it with The Kitchen, Arnold Wesker's play about, you know, sort of slice of life drama in a restaurant kitchen. And that was a really interesting, audacious way of him to mark, put his imprimatur on the court and go, yeah. here's a play that you think you all know and you think is, is, is you know, out of date, but yeah. look but at what I'm going to do with it. it. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. and that was a great sort of immersive theatre experience before there was such a thing as immersive yeah. theatre. Really. And that's the thing, you know, plays like that, as I say, they have their issues, but they're good and they will take rough handling. Yeah. You know, that's one of the reasons you can keep doing Shakespeare. Yes. Because you can, you know, you can bash it around a bit and it can cope. Very true. End of March, two big musicals coming into, I imagine, very different musicals. Oh, yes, <laughs> <laughs> Opening night. Sheridan Smith. Yay, Yay. Sheridan Smith. Um, starring in an adaptation of a John Cassavetes film, which I don't know. I've never seen it. This is a musical with songs by Rufus Wainwright. Well, we wait to see. Yeah. Who and knows I mean, what Sheridan this is going to be like. Sheridan Smith can carry a lot. Yes. So I'm excited to see it. Yes. Same oh, here. And, and then the other one. Yeah, I'm morbidly fascinated to see <laughs> <laughs> MJ the musical. I know. But it's, you know, Christopher Wheldon has done the movement, I think. Yep. And Lynn Nottage has written the book. Yep. An incredible playwright. Very well respected. I don't really know what I think about it. I don't mm. really know where to go with it. Apparently, it's an inc- it was on, on Broadway, wasn't yep. it? And it did very, very Huge well. Hit. Yep. Um, apparently, it's an incredible show. A number of people I respect enormously are very excited about it and have seen it already. Yeah. 
I think a lot of people will go. I'm sure. But they I think a lot of people will feel quite conflicted about it. He's going into the Prince Edward Theatre, um, which is a biggie, a big old barn of a place. Yeah. You know, needs a long runner to fill it. It's just had Dear England in it, the first play in there for decades. Yeah. Obviously, the producers of, of MJ the Musical must be confident that there is still a fan base out there. You know, and I think they're probably right. Yeah. Right, let's go to the ads. In part two, it's my interview with Lucy Moss and Toby Marlowe for their new musical, Why Am I So Single? Why? (laughs) Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. I'm Millie Alcock, and you're listening to the Evening Standard Theatre Podcast. Joining me down the line from Soho's Boulevard Theatre today, where they're about to launch their new musical, are the creators of Six, Lucy Moss and Toby Marlowe. Welcome both. Hello. Hello. How nice to to meet you over the airwaves, both of you. Um, Having been a huge fan of the show for all all its years and its many iterations. So tell me, this is Why Am I So Single, your uh, your second musical. Tell me a little bit about it. It's basically about two friends who are extremely tragic and single, trying to figure out why it is that they are so very alone. And they also happen to be musical theatre writers who can't think of a big and fancy enough subject matter for their next musical. Well, obviously, the two of you are friends and musical theatre writers. It's obviously bad to infer that this is based on personal experience, but is it based on personal experience? How dare I, I don't you? know where you're getting How that from. What an outlandish <laughs> hypothesis. Um, yeah, uh, well, you know, it, it, is, it, is, it, it, is, it is, I would say, inspired by um, our lives, but it's not fully autobiographical in a kind of like a memoiry way. Um, yeah. in the sense that a lot of it's like fabricated or exaggerated or like inspired by people that we know but yeah it is loosely based on on these two right here okay inspired by tragic history is it then <laughs> yeah <laughs> adding to the canon of Shakespeare's tragedy yeah, that's why am like, I so single we did this sort of sad story of the six wives and we're like what's another important historical tragedy yeah and King Lear was um, we couldn't get yeah, the right so, yeah so we did this, this, yeah. this instead I'm sure there's probably yeah. a musical of King Lear in the in the pipeline somewhere, even as we speak. But um, I know there's no obviously there's no such thing as a as a sort of overnight success. And six, you know, was many years growing, you know, from small a small kernel at the Edinburgh Festival to to you know where it is now, this massive international hit. Having got that under your belt, how do you go about the sort of second album syndrome? I suppose how do you go about finding your next subject and deciding on your next opus? Well, you know, it's funny because 
six was never intended to be this you know big thing that it is now we just wrote it as like you know the student production and so i guess there was a bit of a pressure on us i think that we felt internally because having to like write something else that like did a huge thing almost as if like oh you know ticked off feminism with six you know which huge subject matter we're going to tackle next and so we kind of like had this rough idea of something that we might do but that was kind of like a big important exploration concept thing and we went away on a writing retreat in 2019 to to give that a go and we really weren't getting anywhere with it and mainly what we wanted to do was kind of sit down and drink prosecco and talk about our tragic dating lives which is what we did for most of that writing <laughs> retreat and then we right. kind of thought wait maybe this is the musical that we should write instead and not try and you know do another big fancy thing but just yeah and I think it's like, like as yeah. you said like six came out of the two of us <clears throat> being silly in a room together and I think we sort of tried to sort of do it with all the pressure and a sort of like of doing a big fancy musical in our heads and then actually we realized that just the two of us in a room together is kind of like where we most enjoy our writing so mm-hmm. we kind of tried to recreate that kind of away from the world feeling when we were writing this yeah I see does it share any DNA with six is it going to be similarly sort of you know different styles for different songs obviously it's a it's a different genre and a totally different approach yeah so I think I'd say that um although it is very different to six I hope that if people come and see if people came to see Six and came to see Why Am I So Single, I think that they would they would hopefully recognise that it's written by the same people. Like the humour is quite similar. It's a, it's still it's still a similar thing of like breaking the form and like playing around with the form of musicals. And also musically, it's kind of like pop is where we live um, and where we what we love. So uh, it's kind of like largely pop inspired, but there's also lots of other kind of like pastiches and genres. Yeah. yeah, pop is where we live. Pop is where we live. what I said. I don't take it back. Pop is where we live is a great line. I think that's fantastic. It'd be a good title for a show, actually. That one, I think, just because it's in the, it's sort of in the ether at the moment. You're opening sort of straight into the West End with the new show. Are there going to be affordable tickets for this one? Have you sort of discussed with Kenny Wax, your producer, and your fellow and his fellow producers about about how you're going to make it? Is it going to be made affordable? Yeah, I mean, it's something we really care about, and our producers really care about, and. um it's obviously we we aren't down with the minutiae per se but there are the first I believe 5,000 tickets at 35 pounds and I think part of the thinking behind going straight into the West End I mean it feels it sounds very sort of like old and scary from our perspective but actually in terms of getting younger people getting people into the theatre we feel like being in London being in the West End is a way to kind of make it available to everyone which feels really important for us especially with the sort of like the show's it's really nice to have younger audience members in the audience, which we learned during our workshops. So, yeah, it's definitely a big priority for us. Yeah. Um, when you've been uh, sent, sorry, this is a total left field diversion back into six, but when it's been opening uh, overseas, I've seen you've, you've got a Hungarian production now. There's been a Korean production. There's a Polish one. Do you get sent the scripts to be vetted and do you get somebody to sort of read you a literal translation of them to check they're, uh, they're authentic? Yeah, I mean, it, it's, a, it's a really fascinating process and it's happened slightly differently for the different productions. But usually someone will do a translation and then someone else will do like a literal translation of that back into English. And then we look at that one and then we talk with the translators about like the bits where like, oh, like, you know, is this like, is this like some kind of like, different kind of expression that we don't know that does the same thing. And usually it is. And, and like, it's mind boggling how brilliant these translations are mm. in terms of like recreating like you know wordplay that we've done in an in yeah. entire language and it still rhymes and still does the same meaning and joke and intention but also like like within expressions and turns of phrase in like a whole other language it's truly amazing and seeing the production in career and like you know hearing people like oh. laughing at jokes that we'd written in a different language being like wow like so grateful yeah. <laughs> the, the translators of this of like of you know 
of, of still making people laugh. It's yeah. Yeah. Could you unpack a bit the process of working together? How does the, the relationship sort of break down? How do you go about creating a musical together? <laughs> yeah, sure. I mean, I think we kind of, you know, we're billed as written by Toby Marlowe and Lucy Moss because we work on all the elements of the show together. We work on the structure and the story and the book on the songs and the music and the lyrics. I'd say most typically, the vast majority of the time, it's Toby sitting at the piano, usually kind of like coming up with lots of the sort of musical ideas and then me kind of like shaping them with Toby. Uh, but in this one, there's a, a couple of bit more, bit more of me at the piano. Yeah, but, <laughs> um, but, yeah, but yeah, it's more kind of, like, and then lyric wise, we kind of like bounce off each other. We basically sit in a room together, Toby mm-hmm. at the piano, me on a laptop and kind of something happens somehow. And yeah. what's kind of cool as well is it kind of happens in different ways for each song, for each mm. theme. Like, we don't really have, like, a rigid process yeah. like other writers. And there's definitely a lot more of that in this show than six, but I think it's kind of, like, all different combinations of, of writing and how the songs came to mm. be. And in terms of, like, writing the show and how it's been, it's like, you know, as it's quite a personal show, it's it's been with its ups and downs. It's quite tricky because it does require both <laughs> of us to be quite vulnerable not only about ourselves and our personal lives to each other but also about still the vulnerability of like writing with someone who you really think is brilliant and being like oh what do you think of this idea kind of like you know knowing that that person go oh my god that's brilliant you're so clever and nice or going that's the worst thing i've ever heard you're stupid maybe we shouldn't write with anymore (laughs) and i think um what's quite sweet though is that all like you know (laughs) like the bearing spikes that we have when we are writing usually come from the fact that deep down both of us think the other one is the secret genius who we're writing on the coattails of (laughs) Um, and so ultimately it all comes from insecurity because we think the other one's better (laughs) Um, which isn't usually always that pleasant or easy but it you know it's actually quite sweet it's quite sweet lovely we want a happy ending that's what that's the thing isn't it um absolutely to finish up um we're speaking over audio before you uh go into your press launch for the new show you're both rocking what i would describe as i I mean through through the zoom camera that i can see as a sort of salmon pink ensembles paint a word picture for our listeners as to what you're wearing oh my gosh we're in a couple of matching Wiederhoff outfits mm-hmm. um toby is in a beautiful bridal sort of gorgeous gown, oversized yeah. gown Bale. And, and, then, the, yeah. and lucy's in this very amazingly gorgeously tailored suit prom king. kind of prom king and yeah it's we can't wait to celebrate our marriage with yeah. everyone here <laughs> Fantastic. Well, Toby, Lucy, thanks so much for for joining me down the line and look forward to the show. Good luck with the launch. Thank Thank you so much. much. Performances for Why Am I So Single begin from August at the Garrick Theatre. Time for another break. In part three, we will carry on talking about the shows that we are really looking forward to this year. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Matthew Modine, and you're listening to the Evening Standard Theatre Podcast. Welcome back to the podcast. April 
big wallop oh, of serious drama. Very serious <laughs> drama. Uh, Ian, Ian McKellen giving us his full stop. Actually, not that serious in that particular case, but well, yes. Well, I mean, I, the plays themselves yes. would be serious. This is a Robert Icke production, though, and I think he's, 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 not, a, he's not a frivolous director, Robert no, he's Icke. He's not, um, that's absolutely true. Very, very radical reworker of classics, Robert yeah, Icke. This is a um, mashup of Henry IV, one and two. Absolutely. It's always intriguing whenever Robert Icke does anything. Yeah. His Oris Dyer was one of the best things I've ever seen. Same here. Yeah, that's that's likewise in my top ten. And he's up there with Jamie Lloyd in a, in a they all play on very different levels, but I think in terms of really, really radical, exciting directors who yeah. who who, as we've said, you know, take classics and sort of wring them by the scruff of the neck and knock the dust off them. This is the first Robert Ike production of two this year, because of course he then has the first of two Orista, uh, two Edipi oh, yes. coming up. He gets in there first uh in the West End with Mark Strong and yeah. Leslie Manville. Nice. Little note there about uh ageism. Mark Strong is 60 years old. Leslie Manville is 67 years old playing um, as well. That's yeah. old, isn't it? Are you always, is we always 60? Yeah. I'm surprised by that, though. I mean, I think, and I think that's why, probably, right. that it's like, that's that's kind of why it is in any way going to work. Yeah. I'm slightly surprised that Mark Strong is 60. True, yes. But yeah. then I haven't seen Mark Strong up close for a while, so <laughs> <laughs> I don't know whether it works. Take some opera glasses to this one. <laughs> Have a look and see. like, oh, he's actually Ooh, yeah. a bit odd. Anyway, well, yeah, we it's always a, bit like of a to, weird bit of casting. We always like to think there's sort of less ageism in theatre than there is in cinema, but it's actually quite bad about it, you know, that they had Anastasia Hill as uh, Benedict Cumberbatch's mum, and I think she's three years older than him I when mean, he played Hamlet. Yeah. Anyway, so there we go. That's yeah. yeah. The other one, the, the other very serious drama that is coming in April is Long Day's Journey into Night mm. um, with P- Brian Cox and Patricia Clarkson. Yes. Which is extremely exciting. Yes, yes. And will be extremely serious. It will be extremely serious. Long Day's Journey into Night, the, if you play it uncut, the characters read lots of Shakespeare to one another and it lasts oh, about no. four hours. I mean, normally I'd rather pull my own head off than sit through that. But, um, <laughs> <laughs> but on this occasion, you know, with Brian Cox, I would almost like to see it uncut. Not really, actually. <laughs> I know. I'm. I'm trying to want that. Yeah. I'm not wanting it at the moment. Yeah. No, okay. Fair enough. Yeah. But but you know we'll see. You never know. It's Jeremy Herrin. Yes. Um, who is generally a good director, I think. Um, quick run through of some uh, really interesting, odd mixture of stuff coming in April. The Gumpets at the Almeida, the new Brandon Jacobs Jenkins play. Um, yeah. He's always fascinating American playwright. This one's about a reunion of, of some students twenty years after graduating. London Tide. Um, yeah. Uh, adaptation of Our Mutual Friend with music by PJ Harvey. Yeah. And, and Littleton. Adapted and by Ben Power, you know, yeah. who is, is a fascinating writer, I think. Yeah. Minority Report coming to the Lyric yeah. Hammersmith, which is going to have another fascinating, weird, unlikely year. They're doing Faith Healer, Brian Friel's play yeah. earlier on this year. Uh, they're doing Fangirls later on. I mean, the programming there is just off the scale I just fascinating. Think Rachel O'Riordan is such a good artistic director. I agree. Her programming is brilliant. She's also a brilliant director, which is helpful. Helpful. Yeah, but her programming is brilliant. Minority Report is the adaptation of the the book, the book and the and the uh, you know which was made into a Spielberg film. It's by David Haig though, who's a lovely, lovely actor who has hitherto written sort of a couple of well-made plays, sort yeah. of one about Rudyard Kipling and one about the sort of liberation of Europe, which was caused by the weather. So it was all about weather reports. So I mean, to see him doing Minority Report is a really strange left. It's going to be left really interesting. Yeah, at the end of the month, and we should sort of rattle on actually yeah. because we're only at April at this point yeah. and there's a hell of a lot going on but obviously Spirited Away at the Coliseum in Japanese in Japanese will struggle in no way to fill that 
gargantuan space yeah. because if the popularity of My Neighbor Totoro is anything to go by, there are going to be fans flocking to see it. Things calm down a little bit in May, but there is one thing which I think will be very popular, actually. I mean, if anything, if the, the number of people who've been searching for it online is anything to go by, Faulty Towers, adapted by John Cleese from two episodes of the series. I don't know which episodes. One of them is the Hotel Inspectors, I think, and I can't, I don't know what the other one is. Okay. But, uh, but yeah, I never really liked Faulty Towers, even as a as a young person. Right. But, you know. I did, you know, I was a, a comedy sci-fi nerd growing up. No, I didn't have a girlfriend. No, I didn't have any friends. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I could, you know, quote Forty Towers and Monty Python endlessly to people. Which I did watch a lot of Monty Python. I've ah. seen Life of Brian more than thirty times. Okay, well, uh, but yeah, but not know, for a while. Not for a while. Well, <laughs> well, that has not yet been adapted for the no, stage. It has but not. No, probably, that would be tricky, actually, yeah. especially the bit with the aliens. Yes, you're um, absolutely right. Yeah, View from a Bridge as well is coming, coming in, May. Uh, in May, and that has got uh, Dominic West in it. Yep, uh, which will excite lots of people. Also, the brilliant Kate Fleetwood yes. and Callum Scott Howells. Yes, uh, who was about to be seen in The Way on the BBC. I think that starts uh, this coming week, and also is written by um, James Graham, whose adaptation of Boys from the Black Stuff is coming down from Liverpool's Royal Court, also in May. Yep, so that is uh, a, a nice connection. A James Graham play is always. Is a you know yeah, an event, isn't yeah, it? Definitely. That's going to be fascinating. That's coming into the National Theatre. Uh, there's. Uh, Kiss Me Kate coming at the Barbican. This is very yeah. clearly an attempt to emulate the success of Anything Goes, isn't it? Which yeah. basically reopened the Barbican after lockdown and was the first non-socially distanced play in a major theatre. So we'll see whether this can repeat the sort of magic of that. It's got Adrian Dunbar in it, who, as I think we said on a previous podcast, his last stage appearance did not fill either of us with joy. No. Really. It really didn't spark joy. And Broadway star Stephanie J. Block. I mean, Bartlett Sher seems to be, when uh, his production started coming out, over, I sort of thought, oh, he's obviously the new sort of Broadway guru. I'm actually really, he's the sort of Broadway journeyman that, you know, some, <laughs> some of his stuff is fascinating. So like, you know, he, he did To Kill a Mockingbird, mm. which, you know, ran for a substantial run in the West End. and was really good, really detailed, really lovely. Has he done The King and I? Uh, he has done The King and I, which is not a great piece of work. And he also did the revival of uh, My Fair Lady, which, you know, I think in retrospect, I was a bit kind to really right. at the Coliseum. Again, that was fairly soon post lockdown. And I, I think it was an attempt to sort of GP up and get them into theatres and didn't entirely work. But you sort of know what you're getting with him. You do. So we'll see what Kiss Me Kate does. And then mm. people may not actually no longer remember what they're getting. Starlight Express. I have no idea what I'm getting. I've really? never seen Starlight Express. When the Evening Standard launched a listings magazine, and that shows how long ago it was, yeah. um, me and my then boss, Nicholas de Jong, had to get round all the long-running musicals. So he and I had to go and see Les Mis, Cats, Starlight Express, Bombay Dreams, all the stuff that had been sort of running before either of us had been employed by the paper um, right. in the space of about a week and I got to see Starlight Express which was then on at the Apollo Victoria and had been running for a while I mean it's this extraordinary roller skating train musical where they yeah. build sort of causeways around the theatre uh, and they're, they're basically rebuilding the Troubadour Wembley for it incredible that same month Mean Girls the musical coming yeah. in so fetch yeah so fetch <laughs> um, but actually let's like race forward yeah. to what is going to be one of the big events uh, Hello Dolly mm. in July with Imelda Staunton and Jenna Russell yeah which I think is going to be super brilliant people yes. just want to go and see that simply yeah. because it's Mel Staunton so the flipping Palladium yeah I know which yes. is I mean it's going to be a big old show it is going to be a huge show I love the fact that there's basically all these classic Broadway musicals queuing up for Imelda Staunton to be ready to do them oh it's so good you know you can imagine <laughs> she did Gypsy you know which hadn't been done for absolutely
absolutely ages it needed her to come and do it and then presumably she sort of says no sorry I'm off to play the queen yes, in the crown exactly. for a, a season or two so uh, you know Hallie Dolly's going to have to wait but then she'll do that I mean I don't know what she does after this on, on no, stage no, but, uh, I mean, but do you remember she did that brilliant um, Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf as well oh yes she was so good in that she was tremendous she I is, really yeah. enjoyed that she's such a bloody brilliant actress yeah yeah she is terrific I just wanted to make one quick mention of Visit from an Unknown Woman at Hampstead oh that adapted from Stefan Zweig's Zweig story. novel yes that's right uh, by right. Christopher Hampton so Christopher Hampton was uh, his debut play was put on in the West End and he was the youngest playwright ever to have a play on in the West End he is hoping now to be the oldest playwright ever to be <laughs> he's, he's, he's made it known he wants to be the oldest playwright ever to have a play on in the West End he's 78 this year hang on a minute how old was Tom Stoppard well he said yeah. Tom Stoppard is well into his 80s and he had uh, Leopold stat yeah, on exactly. so, really not that long ago so, so I, I think well, no, and this, this one's at Hampstead so not in the West End maybe it'll transfer we'll see <laughs> but uh, you know I just wanted to put that out there there's a marker yeah, there exactly. for, for Christopher Hampton and for uh, well Tom Stoppard has put down a marker for him I suppose yeah the other thing actually that I'm excited about at the National coming up in the Dorfman space there's always really interesting stuff in there is The Hot Wing King yes which is a new play by Katori Hall and is directed by Ray Alexander Wise I really liked Our Lady of Cabello which mm. I think I went to see at Royal and Durngate in Northampton when that was still being run by James Dacre yes now um, left uh, which was also by Katori Hall and I, I, yeah, I really, really enjoyed it. I think hmm. she's a really uh, good and interesting writer. She is. She wrote The Mountaintop, which was one of yeah, my great lost pr- productions that I missed, unfortunately. David yeah, Harewood did that, that, I think, at, at what is now Theatre 503. I think possibly even before it was renamed Theatre 503. I mean, that takes us up to July. There's there's going to be you know loads of interesting stuff coming in August when, of course, the Edinburgh Festival will be happening again. There'll be lots of fascinating things coming down from that. I and mean, then there'll it, be announcements of new things coming for the autumn as well. Yes. But um, I'm also actually quite interested in one thing in September Princess Essex at Shakespeare's Globe which is a new play by and starring Anne Odeke which is about uh, a Senegalese princess entering a South End beauty contest in 1908 which I think is going to be very very interesting absolutely Um, yes I don't always love the kind of new plays that they put on at the Globe but I have always found them very very sort of fascinating I loved um, Blue Stockings which was about the first women to to study at Cambridge although the play wasn't fantastic I was extremely moved by I don't actually remember the name of it which is annoying but it was about a nun in South America who who, who wrote plays and music and was basically just completely and horribly oppressed yeah. um, by uh, the sort of the Catholic Church I came out of that and I sat down on the steps outside of the Globe I was with my dad and I burst into tears of rage about oh. the uh, the waste of women's creativity over the generations well, he was we've like all... I'm so sorry darling <laughs> <laughs> it was really, it was really yes. sweet they commissioned really interesting well, you do sort of down with the patriarchy not you <laughs> this is a sort of return to form of that um, because it's mostly been Shakespeare and in that place under Michel Terry. Um, yeah. The Globe was founded to do Shakespeare and his contemporaries, so it's interesting they're doing uh, Duchess of Malfi again now because that's sort of slightly fallen by the wayside. Yeah. Dominic Drongul, when he ran it, instituted doing new plays in the main space, so I think it is an interesting return to that. And you're right, a lot of the stuff that's gone on there hasn't entirely worked. There was the Howard Brenton play called Dr. Scroggy about the guinea pig club of fighter pilots who had their faces rebuilt after they were facially okay, burned this one, in crashes. This one totally passed me by. Which was, uh, I mean, a, it was interesting a, premise. A, a, interesting premise, absolutely. And there was also the one about the Constitution written by Eric Schlosser about the American right. Constitution. Also didn't work. But where else is a vast theatre 
programming this sort of stuff. You yeah, know, as you say, true. particularly stuff, especially stuff with a feminist angle, like blue stockings. Yeah. You know, where are the major institutions programming those sorts of works for large female casts on those sort of issues? Yeah, exactly. But the one that did come out of there, of course, was Nell Quinn, which oh, was yeah, wonderful. So, it's absolutely lovely. Maybe this will be another Nell Quinn. Yeah, Fingers I hope crossed. So. Looking forward to September. And that's it for the Standard Theatre Podcast. Don't forget to give our previous shows a listen. They include interviews with Felicity Huffman, Ola Ince, Anais Mitchell, Jared Harris, Rian McKellar, Thomas Middleton, loads of people. Big thanks to all our listeners so far on the podcast. We're going to be on a short break and hope to be back with you very soon. Let us know what you think about the show at theatrepod at standard.co.uk. Thanks to our producer, Rachel Abbott. And to Mark Blondin. Mark Blondin.